Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, April twenty-fifth episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. In addition to the Poets and Muses website, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms such as Google and Apple Podcasts. Since December 2018, we have brought to you over 110 poets from 10 countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do that with your support. And you can do that by going to poetsandmuses.com/donate and donate either via PayPal or your preferred credit cards. Due to unfortunate and unforeseen circumstances, we have to pause our newly launched Pan Poetry Project themed writing workshops and open mics. If you're interested in finding out when those will start up again, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. With us today is Umesh Mohikar, with whom I will be discussing his poem "Revolution" and my poem "Trying to Figure Shit Out." Before we do that, however, I am going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of April twenty-sixth, from Monday, April twenty-sixth, to Sunday, May second. The Geraldine R. Dodge Poetry Festival and Program will be hosting their At Home with Poems program. You can find out more information at members.dodgepoetry.org. Again, that's members.dodgepoetry.org. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Asian American Writers Workshop will be hosting their radical thinkers Kaji Amin and Rajiv Mohabir. You can find out more information at aaww.org/events. Again, that's at aaww.org/events. From 8 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground We Play Clean open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting the Loop Writing Workshop with Carol Scott. You can find out more information at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. Again, that's at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. On Tuesday, April 27th, from 3 to 5 Eastern Daylight Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org/firstdraft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org/firstdraft. From 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Freshwater Literary Journal and ACC NAMI will be hosting their Mental Illness Awareness Open Mic Night, featuring Blythe Baird. You can find out more information at Freshwater Literary Journal on Instagram. Again, that's at Freshwater Literary Journal on Instagram. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Sinister Wisdom will be hosting their director conversation with Jennifer Abold about her new film *Nice Chinese Girls Don't*, featuring lesbian poet Kitty Sweet. You can find out more information 
at sinisterwisdom.org forward slash events. Again, that's at sinisterwisdom.org forward slash events. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, City of Asylum will be hosting their Latinx and Proud reading series featuring Eduardo C. Correll, Jessica Salgado, Adika Chilome, and Vanessa Angelica Villarreal. You can find out more information at cityofasylum.org. Again, that's at cityofasylum.org. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Asian American Writers Workshop will be hosting their mouth-to-mouth open mic and showcase featuring K. Ulande Barrett, Jaden Fields, J. Mace III, and Damien Dene Yazzie. You can find out more information at aaww.org forward slash events. Again, that's at aaww.org forward slash events. From 6 to 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, the Virginia G. Piper Writing Center will be hosting their Piper Poetry Month drop-in, What's Missing? Creating a Community event with our past poet guest, Tana Minard. You can find out more information at piper.asu.edu forward slash events. Again, that's at piper.asu.edu forward slash events. From 6 to 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, the Virginia G. Piper Writing Center will be hosting their monthly Veterans Writing Circle with Marco Pina. You can find out more information at piper.asu.edu forward slash veterans. Again, that's at piper.asu.edu forward slash veterans. From 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground We Play Dirty Open Mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From Wednesday, April 28th to Friday, April 30th, the Bachelors of Fine Arts in Creative Writing at Denae College will be hosting the Sada Among Words Creative Writing Symposium. You can find out more information and register at tiny.one forward slash sada. That's tiny.one forward slash s-a-a-d-t-a-h. Again, that's tiny.one forward slash s-a-a-d-t-a-h. From 7 p.m. Amsterdam time, Word Up Amsterdam will be hosting their weekly Inspiration Factory writing workshop by Janice. You can find out more information and register at wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops html. Again, that's wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops html. From 2.30 to 4.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Mark Frischbein will be hosting his Planet Poetry 28, and you can find out more information and register at poetwithguitar.com forward slash events. Again, that's poetwithguitar.com forward slash events. From 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Do More Baltimore will be hosting their World Tour Poetry Club. You can find out more information at domorebaltimore.org forward slash workshop events. 
Again, that's at domorebaltimore.org forward slash workshops events. Do is spelled D-E-W. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Kaveh Kanam Poets will be hosting their new works, Black Womanhood and Girlhood Awakenings, featuring Naomi Extra, Allison Joseph, and Simone Savannah. You can find out more information at kavekanampoets.org forward slash event. Again, that's kavekanampoets.org forward slash event. From 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Humanities Division and RA Destiny Rogers for Bloomfield College will be hosting their Survivors Showcase featuring Caridad La Bruja de la Luz, Jenny Rose, Tori Lutz, Sarah Aaron, Joski C, Jody Ortega, Paul Latore, Destiny Rogers, Medoli Garcia, and many more. You can find out more information at Paul Conquesel on Instagram. Again, that's Paul Conquesel on Instagram. Conquesel is spelled C-O-N-Q-U-E-S-O. Again, that's C-O-N-Q-U-E-S-O. From 8 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their poetry workshop with Beth Ruscio. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops html. Again, that's at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops html. On Thursday, April 29th from 9 p.m. Paris time, Paris Lit Up will be hosting their open mic. You can find out more information at parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. Again, that's parislitup.com or slash open hyphen mic. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, our past poet guest Felicia Zamora will be hosting her poetry reading and book launch with Chetla Sabri, Emma Trillis, Lee Hemrick, and Ricardo Alberto Maldonado. You can find out more information at feliciazamora.com forward slash readings. Again, that's at feliciazamora.com forward slash readings. From 6 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, the Center for Contemporary Arts Santa Fe and the Witter Boehner Foundation for Poetry will be hosting their virtual live poetry series with Manny Lowley. You can find out more information at ccasantafe.org. Again, that's ccasantafe.org. On Friday, April 30th, from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth writing workshop. You can find out more information and register by messaging the host, Andrina Leanne, on Instagram at survivor.andrina.leanne. Again, that's at survivor.andrina.leanne. Andrina is spelled A-N-D-R-E-E-N-A. Leanne is spelled L-E-E-A-N-N-E. From 7 p.m. West African time, Graciano and Worm and Nopal Flower will be hosting their Corona vs. Open Mic via Instagram Live. You can find out more information at Graciano and Worm. That's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's at G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. 
N-W-E-R-E-M, from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Do More Baltimore will be hosting their Baltimore Youth Grand Slam for those between 16 and 19 years old. You can apply to be a part of it until the end of today at domorebaltimore.org forward slash workshops events. Again, that's domorebaltimore.org forward slash workshops events. Do is spelled D-E-W. From 6 to 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, Mass Liberation Arizona will be hosting their Black Friday fundraiser for Reframe Youth Arts Center. You can find out more information at MassLibAZ on Instagram. Again, that's at MassLibAZ on Instagram. From Saturday, May 1st to May 31st, Writing on the Wall will be hosting their WowFest 21. You can find out more information at writingonthewall.org.uk. Again, that's at writingonthewall.org.uk. From 8 to 9.30 p.m. India Standard Time, our featured poet this week, Umesh Mohikar, will be hosting his Let's Unmesh Life open mic. You can find out more information and register at Umesh Mohikar on Instagram. Again, that's at Umesh Mohikar on Instagram. That's spelled U-N-M-E-S-H-M-O-H-I-T-K-A-R. Again, that's U-N-M-E-S-H-M-O-H-I-T-K-A-R. From 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Red Emma's will be hosting their Mother Earth Poetry Vibe featuring Marjan Naderi, hosted by Analysis. You can find out more information at redemmas.org forward slash events. Again, that's at redemmas.org forward slash events. On Sunday, May 2nd, from 5 to 7 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their open mic, and you can find out more information at Poetry LGBT on Instagram or Twitter. Again, that's at Poetry LGBT on Instagram or Twitter. From 6.30 p.m. British time, Run Your Tongue will be hosting their first online birthday extravaganza. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 4444016866488863. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 4444016866488863. From 6 to 8 p.m. Paris time, Paris Lit Up will be hosting their monthly writer's workshop you can find out more information at parislitup.com forward slash the hyphen writers hyphen workshop. Again, that's parislitup.com forward slash the hyphen writers hyphen workshop. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Keep the Mic On will be hosting their open mic. You can find out more information at keepthemicon.com. Again, that's at keepthemicon.com. From 3 to 4 p.m. Alaska Daylight Time, the Alaska Quarterly Review will be hosting their Pièce de Résistance Benefit Coda Literary Milestones to Cornerstones panel with Julie Decker, Danielle Ofry, Donald Spatz, with readers Danusha Lamaris and Manini Nayer. 
You can find out more information at aqreview.org forward slash events. Again, that's at aqreview.org forward slash events. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Umesh Mohikar. Hi, Umesh. Thank you very much for coming out to Poets and Muses. Hello, Imogen. It's great to talk with you. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for giving this opportunity. Thank you very much. Thank you as well. You brought with you your poem, Revolution. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am Unmesh Mohitkar. I write in three languages, uh, English, Hindi, and Marathi. I like to perform poetry. I have published a book as well, which is called Light, Shadow Light, The Missing Verse of the Soul. Mm-hmm. It is uh, available on uh, Amazon. It's a collection of poet poems. Okay. This collection of poems talks about feelings, uh, how you feel. It talks about fear. It talks about the heartbreaks and my experiences with life mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. So writing this book was uh, really an eye-opener to me. Because uh, when you write the book, you go into the nitty-gritties of your feelings. Right. If you're, if you're sitting to write one poem, right, sometimes you're able to write it and sometimes uh, you can't write it because at that time nothing is coming. Right. So that feeling, that emotions, uh, to work with those emotions and then bring it onto paper so that it is able to reflect what you feel. I think that experience itself is uh, worthwhile that the experience itself enriches you. Mm-hmm. It, it tells you that there are so many things, so many feelings which are hidden in your mind or heart. And uh, unless and until, if you would not have started writing poems, uh, they would have been buried there. Mm-hmm. You might have never known that this is how you felt about a particular situation. Right. So what I did is I, I nowadays I have made it as a process. So every day I write uh, two poems, oh, one okay. in English and one in Hindi. Yeah. Okay. So that is what I do nowadays. Sometimes I procrastinate, which is rare. Mm-hmm. Sometimes on I will take a break on Sunday. But, mm-hmm. uh, I try to do it regularly and I try to do it religiously. What is happening, emotion with that is uh, I am able to. Get that speed, correct? Sometimes you are able to think uh, think about few things, the emotions are there, but you are not able to write. But now what has happened is writing has become a process. Mm-hmm. Okay? So whatever I feel, it is easily coming on the paper. Mm. Okay, So people might not like it or people might like it, but at least whatever is there in my heart, I am able to put it on the paper. And I think that is something with which I am very, very happy about. Because mm-hmm. now I am very confident that, okay, when I sit to write, I can write few things. Mm-hmm. And uh, that process has uh, made me more efficient, I think. I don't know whether my work, uh, from the work point of view, is it better or uh, better or um, it, is, uh, it is not that good. But overall, I am happy about it. And what I do is I attend a lot of open mics and then I try to incorporate the feedbacks as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So I think yesterday I attended... Uh, workshop by Loki and uh, it talked about uh, if you for example uh, different perspectives okay looking at uh, different from different perspectives it was something which was very very informative and I really liked it and mm-hmm. whatever I hear or whatever I I read right new things about poetry I try to grasp them I try to incorporate in my poetry and uh, I try to enrich my poetry and myself 
Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. When did you start writing poetry? I think I wrote my first poem when I was seven years old. Oh, wow. Okay. And yeah, I think I wrote around um, around fifty to hundred poems till I was uh, fourteen or fifteen years old, mm-hmm. which are still there. It's in my mother tongue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after going to college, I stopped writing. Mm-hmm. So intermittently, I was writing, so, and I was published in my college magazines. But it was not a regular thing. So okay. once in a once or twice in a year or something like that, or helping uh, my friends to write love letters. <laughs> Those were the things which okay. I was doing in college, and I was very famous for that. <laughs> That's and, great. Uh, after that, I think I used to write, but not that regularly. But in last one year, I think I have made it a habit. Mm-hmm. That, yes, uh, because it, it it has helped me to express myself. Because uh, normally, when I'm speaking with you, right, I'm I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about my fear, correct? All these things you can express in poetry easily, right. and that is accepted by the society as well. Right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so that is the advantage of poetry. I think you can uh, openly express yourself. Right. Yeah. Definitely. You said in your mother tongue. I, I was wondering, was it Hindi or was it Marathi, or that you started writing it? Marathi is my mother tongue, and I started writing in Marathi. Okay. Do you remember what you wrote about when you were seven? It was about the perils of modernization. The older things are gone, and now newer things are coming. The impact and other things. I think that was too philosophical for a seven years old. <laughs> <laughs> But it was about <laughs> yeah. perils of modernization. It was a small poem. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents were uh, mighty impressed with it. They are even they, they are parents, right? They just like whatever I do. <laughs> well, it is very impressive for a seven-year-old to be thinking about the perils of modernization. I don't. I think most seven-year-olds yeah. <laughs> would not be thinking about it. What drove you to write that on that particular subject? I used to read a lot, even as a seven years old, right? I used to read a lot because my parents uh, are were teachers. Uh-huh. Okay, teachers, son, right? Mm. So it becomes normal that even on the even during the dinners you talk about some writer, and uh, there are a lot of books around, mm-hmm. and uh, your your parents are always reading or talking about some writers. Uh, they also love literature, mm. so it came naturally to me. And uh, some uh, the most important thing was I used to read a lot. Right. And uh, sometimes I didn't didn't even understand what I was uh, reading because uh, I remember there was one uh, book uh, called uh, How to Improve Your Talent. I'm just translating that in uh, English. It's called Pratibha Sadhan. So mm. how to worship your talent? Word to word translation. Okay. So that was a big book of I think 300 or 400 pages, mm-hmm. and uh, I read it. Uh, but I didn't understand anything. But I read it just for the sake of reading it. <laughs> so I was addicted to reading. <laughs> right. I was addicted to reading. I think that might be the case. Uh, that is why I wrote that poem related to perils of modernization. Okay. And uh, about about Hindi. Hindi is our uh, national language, right. and there are a lot of movies in Hindi, and it's a very popular language. Uh, so I like Hindi, and what happens is there is something called shayari in Hindi. It's actually it is coming from Urdu, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a very interesting format. What they do is after every one or two lines, right? For the audience have freedom to say, oh, "It's good, it's good. Wow, go on, wow, wow that's beautiful." Okay, mm. <laughs> so so the audience are egging you up. 
Oh, that's like an interactive form. Then it's it's very much very a performance. Okay. So okay. I had I think two weeks back two, two weeks back I had um, a program I did my on uh, Google Meet I did that a program there were around twenty five to thirty people mm -hmm. and uh, I read my poetry uh, Hindi poetry for one hour. Oh wow! It was very well received. Yeah. And what I did is I told them to unmute uh, their mics. So that they can speak freely. So everybody felt a part of it. Right, right. Yeah, that's one of the difficult things to duplicate when we're doing this remotely because of Zoom bombing and these things. You know. True, true. Yeah, so people are always muted. So when you're reading, you're not getting the feedback as if you are live, especially the format that you're talking about. Just going back to your your history a little bit. The fact is, you know, your parents love literature and love reading. They were teachers. At the same time, that means you're exposed to many different forms of literary arts. So what made you decide at seven to write poetry? I don't remember it exactly what made me uh, write poetry. It came out naturally. That is what I feel. Mm. I was just sitting there and I just wanted to write something. And I just it might be the case, I, the case that I wanted to impress my parents. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't remember exactly, but that might be also the case. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I don't think I thought too much about it. But I, I was used to uh, writing at that time because I used to maintain a journal. Uh, because we, I used to love cricket um, and uh, I used to maintain a journal about how the players are performing. Mm -hmm. I used to maintain their records as well. Right, so I was right. used to writing. But uh, this came naturally, I think. I can't, I cannot pinpoint that this is how exactly it came. Mm -hmm. But uh, yes, but once I wrote that, then I think I continued writing it. And uh, I remember my the longest poem I wrote. I was uh, when I was an, uh, 11 or 12 years old. I read a historical book in my mother tongue, mm -hmm. and then I was so impressed with that book that I wrote a poem of around 40 lines. Oh, wow. uh, about, about that uh, book and uh, yeah, it was very well received. I guess it was published as well at that time. Okay, wow, that's wonderful. Um, I think now is a good time for you to read your poem, Revolution, for us. So if you don't mind. Yeah. Sure, Imogen, thanks a lot. So it's called Revolution. Revolution. The world is for adults. Let it be. The world is for adults, let it be, but never kill the child in you. The world is for adults, let it be, but never kill the child in you. Life is boring. Life is boring, let it be, but never kill the pirate in you. Life is boring, let it be, but never kill the pirate in you. Law and order forced on you. Law and order forced on you, let it be, but never kill the revolution in you, but never kill the revolution in you. Thank you. You're welcome. I really appreciate that. So I find it interesting, right? You're the second Marathi speaker, writer, poet, and that I'm interviewing. And I wonder if this is something that's done in Indian poetry in general or only in certain languages in Indian poetry, that the reciting of the poem is a bit different than the poem itself in that you repeat lines, 
but they're not repeated in the physical form of the poem. Yes, yes, that is coming from that shairi part. Okay. That Hindi shairi part. Because what they do is there is a setup, for example, setup and punchline, right? Mm. <laughs> so what they do is they repeat the setup and then they will bring in the punchline okay. just to make an impact. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It feels very different when you're reading it and not just because of the emotive part of it, but also the repetition of lines and what you decide to repeat. So how do, you, how do people know when they're reading your poems what to repeat since you don't write it as you speak it? This repetition is uh, not for each and every poem because there are few poems which I don't repeat. So there is a flow in yeah. that poem. Okay. So that poem itself, uh, there might be a story in that or something like that. So I don't repeat uh, in that type of poem. But in this uh, revolution, what I feel is, uh, it's a kind of a setup and a punchline, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, for example, the world is for adults, let it be. The world is for adults, let it be. So now the audience thinks uh, that, okay, what is going next? What is going to come next, right? Mm. So I'm just uh, creating that uh, kind of uh, suspense that, okay, after this, then I will say, but never kill the child in you. Mm. Sometimes uh, while you are writing it, it's uh, at that time itself, you feel that, okay, this is the way you can write. Right. You send me the poem and I'm reading the poem. So I'm reading it just straight through. But when you read it, obviously you're repeating because you want to have this setup punchline effect. So when people buy your book and they're just reading it, because the lines do not repeat on the page, how do people know if the lines need to be repeated, if they should read the lines as repeated lines. Yeah, I think it's a good observation. I've never thought about it emotion. <laughs> <laughs> I've, never, okay, now I've never given a thought about it. But yes, I think uh, I should definitely think about it because I think the earlier poets from last, earlier, they used to tell that this is to be repeated, something like that. But I will have to find a way for that. Right. What I feel is uh, repeating creates an impact. Am I right or wrong? I like the repeating. I think it does create an impact. At the same time, because I both read the poem and also you are selling the book, you, the writer, does not come with a book and it's not an audio book, so people cannot hear how you would read it. So just as a writer myself, one of the things that we always have to think about is, well, especially when we're publishing our work, right, is how our work is being received and whether or not we want to let our work go out there and let people read it as they would read it, or if we want to let people read it the way we would like them to read it. So it's a different way of doing things. So I, I was wondering, since you mentioned other writers or previous, I guess, in history, writers, when they have repeated lines, they notate that. So is that notations or do they actually repeat those lines in the writing itself? Mm. I'll have to check that emotion. I don't remember it right now. Not in the English poetry, but I feel that in other languages I have seen that. Um, mm. But I'll have to check um, because it would, it would be wrong if I give you a wrong some wrong information. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, this is really interesting. Uh, as I said, you're the second poet, Marathi poet, in fact, who's doing that, repeating lines for emotional impact. And it makes sense. And I like the delivery a lot. And 
it highlights, again, the emotional impact of the lines, the philosophical views that you're trying to present. So when did you write this poem? I think this poem was written six months back. Okay. I think there was a lot of philosophy behind it. I felt that most of the times uh, what we do is because of the uh, nature of our work, because of our uh, responsibilities, we forget what we like, okay? I know this is a cliche, mm. but um, most of the times what we do is, okay, it, it might what I like, but uh, for my survival, I need to, for my bread and butter, I need to do this. <laughs> yeah. But then yeah. why, right? <laughs> yeah. I understand uh, so that feeling. What I feel is, uh, okay, I understand that, okay, for your bread and butter, you need to do this. But uh, if you feel that you like something, and you feel that, okay, doing that, it might be acting, it might be singing, it might be writing poetry. Uh, if you do that and if you feel relaxed, if you feel better, and if you want to continue, so why don't you give some time to that as a hobby? Mm. As a hobby, why don't you try to improve ourselves? Because, you know, Imogen, it's easy to tell that, okay, <clears throat> I like this. Okay, that I might be become a great poet if I would have focused on this. Okay, mm. But what did you do to improve on it? Right. There might be talent, but you need to hone your skills, right? right? So for that, you need to work very, very hard because mm. then you'll, you'll have to face a lot of rejections as well. Right. So the people will also pass comments. There are quite a few friends of mine who say, what are you doing? But then I just feel that this is what I like. This is what I am. Whenever I do this, I feel relaxed. And there is a sense of achievement, uh, mm -hmm. which I feel uh, after doing that. Especially uh, your emotions, right? emotions coming out and then there is a reference point to your emotions right. so whenever you after two years i might read this book and that when i read that poem i will go back to that time may not be exactly but at least i will be able to feel that emotion that at that time i felt this and that is why i wrote this poem so mm -hmm. you are just creating bookmarks in the history correct <laughs> yeah yeah it definitely has that sense of as you said in two years time you might be reading this poem and you you think back you're like oh that's how i felt at that moment so yeah it, it's like a little time capsule um or bookmark as you said you talked a little bit about um you know the generalities around why you wrote this poem i wonder if there was anything specific that caused you to write this particular poem Nothing specific as such, but uh, you know, I met uh, with a lot of my friends, okay? Uh, so a few of them were very, very good in singing. A few of them were um, very, very good in uh, sports. But they all left that and then they just uh, started uh, doing their routine life, okay? There was a get-together, we all sat and we all um, spoke about it. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I really felt that uh, we all have killed uh, our talent. Mm. So, for example, there were quite a few friends of mine who used to be very, very bubbly when they were um, enthusiastic when they were in college. But mm -hmm. then afterwards, uh, uh, I felt that, okay, they have now become very, very serious and they, they have stopped laughing. And for me as well, things have changed because of a lot of things. Because uh, with life comes uh, many responsibilities and many things. At that time, I felt that, okay, let's write a poem. Let's express it. I felt really good after writing this poem. Mm. In the last four lines, right? Law and order post on you, let it be, but never kill the revolution in you. Of course, we should follow law and order, but sometimes, right, we are too scared to take few risk. 
I'm talking about legal risk, okay? Legal risk, <laughs> which is allowed in the frame of law, correct? <laughs> I, I'm glad you clarified, you know. Let's <laughs> understand what I'm saying. <laughs> so even if you are scared of taking a small, small risk as well. Mm. So that is what I felt that, okay, law and order is there. Okay, but uh, you should have your own revolution and revolution is inside you. You mm. don't have to slap someone or you don't have to change anyone. It's inside you, you need to change yourself. That is the real revolution. Mm. Mm. So, the time when you understand that uh, what people say or what emotions say doesn't matter because I know I know what I want to do. Mm. I might be right or I might, I might be wrong, but I want to improve, and improve on it. And uh, that is my goal. And if I do that, I will be happy. I think understanding that is in itself a revolution. Right, right. Because people will have... People have spent years and lives to understand that. So at least uh, taking a step toward understanding it, it opens a lot of new dimensions. Actually, it, it tells you a lot of things about yourself, and it, it is mostly about yourself. So whatever effort you put in, you won't be able to understand others fully. Mm-hmm. There are many things. There is a friend of mine. So there are there are many things which impacts his behavior. Mm-hmm. So I won't be able to con- his behavior, but I will be able to control my behavior. And uh, I feel if you can do that, then it's the greatest revolution which you can do. What you have done is you have you have stopped others influencing you, and you are looking inwards. So I know it's it might sound somewhat too too much philosophical or sometimes cliche as well, but I think it works. It works. If you change your approach, change your attitude, and then uh, if you say that okay, I will do whatever I I can uh, I like. Of course, but um, then I can make others happy as well. But what they say, it matters. But yes, it, it is not uh, something uh, which uh, represents me. Okay, so mm. people might comment on me, but uh, then I should be able to filter it out that what is good and what is bad. Yeah, so I think uh, it's a kind of a growth mm. yeah. way you grow as a person as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a balance, right? Because obviously we become who we are based on our interactions with other people. It's not just we become whoever we we are, whether or not people are around. Um, and but it's a balance of deciding what works. If people are giving us feedback on us in whatever dimension of our lives. We have to decide whether or not that feedback, that advice, works within our situation. So you have to sort of balance what's good for your own life as well as what's good for societal life, right? Because uh, you know, as you said, you know, yeah, you you should take risks. You should you know maintain that child, that happiness within you. But you know, you also have to think about how that impacts、uh, the people around you and、Correct. society in general. So yeah, it is a very philosophical poem, and and that's why I thought it was really interesting because I wasn't sure where like because you just basically you end the poem by saying, "But never kill the revolution in you." But it doesn't because revolution sounds like such a very drastic turn、uh, term for people.、Yeah. It usually involves, depending on how people associate the word, obviously, because there are safer revolutions: a revolution of the mind, revolution of the soul, revolution within yourself, which you、um, are talking about in this poem. And then there are the revolutions, which are just completely chaotic, out of control, and. 
doesn't result in anything that's constructive. So I'm really glad that you kind of clarified that for us because you go from you go from you know the child to the pirate to the revolution. Yeah, in movies, pirates are sort of this like fun character, <laughs> but in real life, they are like really horrifying for people who are on the receiving end of their actions. Yeah, yeah that pirate analogy, right? What I feel is okay. Uh, yeah, of course they were brutal, but uh, because of them, there were the, uh, it opened a lot of new horizons for the mankind. Because they went everywhere, they tried new things. So it was from the point of view of us, okay, taking some risk. Right. Uh, so just wanted to make an impact, emphasize it, okay. So it can be pirate of your mind or something like that. Right. But uh, just wanted to make an impact. That okay. Uh, so because uh, you are just doing your daily chores, it's not necessary that you just uh, you just follow whatever is said. You can in your mind you can be pirate. For example, you can write poems which talks about the dark subjects. Right. Nobody right. stopped you from doing that. So that is also kind of a, you are a pirate in your mind. So you are not express. You are in real life. You are just a common man. But you are just sitting on the table. You become a pirate and then you just write about some dark thing happening in the world. And then uh, there are a lot of dark poems, right? Mm. I, I I believe that uh, those type of actions also are important for uh, can be called as pirate actions of pirate because it depends it depends for example for a common man right breaking a traffic light is a kind of a big issue big thing mm. <laughs> yes, uh, and, yes. Uh, so it depends where you stand. So there might be a tycoon for him killing someone, or for example, there might be a murderer. So for him, it, it might be a different level altogether. But for a common man who is a law-abiding citizen, who always always try to follow rules, he's scared of the police, he's scared of the law establishment, and just doing little bit of small things, right? So that also something which uh, he never ex- expects himself to do. Mm-hmm. I think it it is very important for us to try to retain that sort of you know the child within the imagination that we have as a child because you know as we grow as we mature into adulthood, I mean first of all not everybody mature, <laughs> so so there's there's definitely definitely different levels and different timelines for everyone. As a child, you think of adult world as a serious world, but really, when we grow into adults, we realize, you know, at least interiorly, you retain a lot of the innocence and the naivete and the and the wonderment of childhood and the rebel within you wanting to sort of buck against certain cultural societal norms that may be there, not necessarily because of of what good it does society, but more because it's been there for a long time. So it definitely makes sense for us to be looking at our historical rules, you know, whether in India or the U.S., to think of what makes sense now because times change, people change, and society changes, and we need to adapt our rules in order to grow with. Society, rather than just stay stagnant. Very true. I thought in in your delivery of this poem,、um, it really 
comes through. Uh, but you know, like in in India as well as in the U.S., there is a lot of societal stratification, right? And there are some people that even though this poem might speak to their heart, the fact is. They're so bogged down by trying to make a living, and they have so little access to time, you know, because they have to work so much harder than, let's say, you and me, that it doesn't really allow them time to, you know, extract the child within for happiness because they're just so worried about, constantly worried about. Making ends meet, putting bread and butter on the table, as such. So I wonder what you thought about that. You know that yeah. aspect of life for people who may not have time or maybe too bogged down by necessity of of just trying to make ends meet. Actually, I have given a lot of thought about it because uh, I this subject is very near to my heart mm-hmm. and. Uh, Uh, what I feel is risk, small, small. In, in fact, uh, when you walk on the street, right, mm-hmm. or the road, you are taking a risk, calculated risk, right? Mm-hmm. A bus might come and hit you. Mm-hmm. Okay. The driver might uh, might be sleeping, so you know, on the wheels uh, or on the steering wheel. So what I feel is even if because I have seen there are a lot of examples um, uh, in India. Where uh, they were not earning much, okay? mm-hmm. so but they were great poets. Mm. Okay, so there are quite a few examples in India. So mm-hmm. in Indian society, they look at poets that they are people who are not having money and they are addicted to poetry. Mm. <laughs> So there are a lot of great poets. For example, the, those uh, great poets were uh, they, it means it was kind of a hand to mouth survival, but they wrote poetry. Mm-hmm. So what I feel is, of course, means hand to mouth existence is not uh, important. So it's not necessary that each poet should uh, survive in that way. Mm-hmm. But what I feel is, if you have got some hobbies, or if you feel like doing uh, doing something, then definitely you can find time. So there are examples in uh, Indian history that uh, people who were jailed, who were jailed, mm-hmm. uh, they wrote poems on the walls of the cell. Right. They wrote poems using uh, using uh, stones, correct? They mm-hmm. carved poems in the walls. Right. Ironically enough, really, is that a person in jail has a bit more time because I, I mean I don't I don't know. <laughs> so that, That that jail was different. That jail was our freedom fighters were jailed there, right. and then they were made to work very very hard throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and then still there are examples, and not everybody can do it. But what I feel this is just an example. What I feel is if you really are passionate about it, and if you are ready to take calculated risk, okay, calculated risk that is the important thing. And mm-hmm. if you are ready to improve yourself, and most of the times what happens is your ego comes in 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 a uh, in between, okay? So your ego stops you to ask for help. Mm-hmm. So in I think I was in uh, I was a friend of I, I I went to a hotel and there was a guy who has passed his tenth and he was not having any money, so he stopped his education and he was working uh, working uh, in that hotel and doing small small things, okay? Mm-hmm. And we just spoke for I think. Uh, We used to speak daily. Mm-hmm. I used to stay in that hotel, 
and i just told him that uh, okay uh, why don't you keep asking people that i am i, I want to study i want some help i want to study if you have got something then please uh, advise me please tell me i am ready to put in more effort so when i visited that hotel after a year or something he was sitting on the front desk mm. okay so for him that is a great great jump mm-hmm. that is a big jump for him mm-hmm. but how did he do that he just asked everyone he did not uh, bring his ego in between because sometimes asking for help is not that easy especially in the initial days right it's very difficult to ask for help because you are not used to it or you don't like it and it depends on upon the other person's reaction it might be positive it might be negative which is not in your control so right. that is also a risk in a, in a way it's also you are taking a small risk that mm-hmm. you might get hurt sometimes right mm-hmm. so what i feel is unless and until you do this then uh, you you won't be able to find time because you need to be very very calculative you need to plan things i think you need to plan things whatever you are doing you need to plan things you need to to understand what is going on because everybody everybody has got intelligence okay everybody has got brains right. and uh, unless and but you need to make them work you need to say that okay let me think about it let me find a work around and then uh, definitely once you start walking on that path Uh, definitely there is something which will come up uh, which will take you towards what you like right i i agree with you in terms of we need to put the effort in in order to and we need to find the time in order to better our lives and no matter what situation our lives are in at the same time i feel like at least for me i i have the luxury of being able to stop having enough to eat and still have time to write poetry for instance that's my life or choose something else i have that luxury and also i think for many people who have had been lucky enough that when they make the effort they get results even if it's after a few tries right um but in generally speaking the trajectory is that when they make the effort they get good results i think when we're in that situation we don't necessarily look at the people who even if they try very very hard they do not get the results which seems unthinkable but it happens a lot and the fact that yeah. when you have systematic structures that goes against people who are making efforts no matter how hard they try there are certain ceilings they cannot break and then looking at the examples where the few of them break those ceilings and saying well you should be that person i think in in life in general is very unfair because not everyone can be extraordinary and most people in fact are not extraordinary and even though we all have intelligence and we all can do hard work Uh, it doesn't mean that our hard work is rewarded in the same amount or the same way that we uh, same amount really i love the philosophy of taking you know you have to give yourself room to take risks in order to grow at the same time i feel like there's a lot of people who take a lot of risks that we don't necessarily see as risks in our own lives because it's they're not risks in our own lives but in their lives there are huge risks So for me it's it's always important to level the playing field to build infrastructure to allow as many people to be able to 
get the fair rewards that we would like to get. So to en enable people to get that, to have a more leveled playing field. Very true, Imogen. I think, yes, that, that, that is really required. Correct. Yeah. Totally yeah. And I think for stratified societies, both in the U.S. and in, in India, it becomes more and more difficult for people to, you know, try to better themselves because they don't have the opportunities that people in other classes have. And in some ways, that sort of, even though obviously I am in a privileged position in my own life, relatively speaking, I was writing about this aspect of being part of other people's or the machinations of the world, the sense of not having control and not knowing where I fit in this life overall, that I, I wrote my poem trying to figure shit out. So I'm I'm going to read that now and then we'll yeah yeah that's a great poem Ujjain I I read it yeah please please thank go, you go ahead, please. I appreciate that unwittingly I've been conscripted as a soldier in a perpetual war between gleeful gods looking for distractions from eternal life embroiled in little trouble or maybe I'm just a lab rat scurrying through booby trapped corridors taking her turn to run through the maze, hoping for sugar water near death's door. There's also the possibility of being a gladiator, with future praises aimed past my ears for those struggling toward amelioration. Still now, I must sacrifice for mass consumption. However this is manifesting, I'm on a recurring weekly cycle. So maybe a hamster is my current fate, pawing the spinning wheel for a child's sake. So I... Wow. <laughs> thank you. Wow, brilliant. Thank you. Loved it. So like yours, it's also like a philosophical look at life and look at where we are in life and how, you know, we fit in. I mean, yours is much more about agency, taking agency. Mine is more trying to just trying to see how I fit in, right? Because if we don't understand the system that we're in, we don't know how to guide ourselves around it, guide ourselves through it. And sometimes... Well, it's typically explain your booby-trapped, the booby-trapped corridors, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, for a lab rat, they have no idea because the traps are, you know, they're, the corridors are so narrow, they're larger than the beings that the rats are, are traveling through it. We can't see the outside. We don't know what the entire picture is. We only see from our little perspective what we see. Philosophically speaking, it's sort of like the Greek uh, philosopher, I forget who it was, was it Plato or somebody else? who talked about the blind men feeling the elephants, right? And each of them had a only, described the elephant only as the part that they felt because that's all they were able to sense of the elephant. Yeah, that is true. You know, your poem reminded me of this poem. 
I feel like we're speaking from different perspectives of life, right? And I agree with you in the sense of, you know, keeping our child alive in our inner child, trying to find a place for our happiness and trying to safeguard that space. At the same time, sometimes you feel kind of very much like you have no control over your life. You have no idea what's going on and that there's no sense of agency. Correct. Uh, there is one more uh, one more dimension to it. So one is, uh, let's say, lack of money or lack of opportunity. But uh, the turmoil can be emotional as well. Yeah, yeah. So for example, if, if uh, emotionally you can be so drained out that you don't feel that there is a, uh, everywhere it's darkness, you are not able to see. So that might be more dangerous than not having money sometimes. Yes, yes. For me, I think you probably hold a similar view, is that I feel like there are always choices. They may not be good choices. They're, they could be between a bad choice and a worse choice, but there are always choices. But sometimes, as you said, we are so emotionally, we feel so in an emotional rut, in a very dark place, sometimes we feel like there are no options. And I feel like when we think about options, our tendency is to think about good versus bad rather than bad versus worse. Right. So life is never black and white, it's always gray. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's much more... <laughs> And sometimes I feel that is something which is not taught in schools. <laughs> no. In schools they say that, okay, life is black and white, but no, it's not like that. Even in our stories and other things, right? It's kind of uh, the life is black and white. But uh, once you understand that life is not black and white, life is gray, or maybe there are more darker shades to it, mm -hmm. living your life becomes a bit easier. <laughs> yeah, it, I think it might, it might be easier... I don't like the fact that we're taught black and white. I, I think I like the aspirational aspect of it because we should aspire to better things, both for ourselves and for society, society in general. At the same time, we should be taught, as you said, the gray skills that there's a lot more nuance to life. I think if we are able to accept the fact that there are a lot more nuance to life, then maybe some of the struggles will not, we won't have to spend time on some of the struggles that we have by only looking at life as the stark contrast. Very, very true, very true. I think that's a very well said. Because sometimes, sometimes we just try to paint situations in black and white or paint people in black and white. But yeah. that is not the case because uh, it's not that a person is bad, but sometimes the surroundings, uh, sometimes what he has gone through till now, correct? Sometimes his experiences, his background. So that, that person is some total of uh, the stimulus of everything, correct? Stimulus of his environment. Okay? Mm. So to come to this point, to understand that, uh, you have to spend a lot of time thinking about it, okay? Mm. So then only you will understand. If somebody is behaving in a, such a way, there is, some, uh, there is something behind it. To so understand it and then to find a solution about it. Because uh, if it's impacting you, how to go about it? So it's a kind of a process. It's a kind of a learning, a learning as well. You things evolve. Things are very, very dynamic, and then you have to act accordingly. 
Right, right. And I think in between, in between our two poems, right, is basically life as we know it. Because it, sometimes it feels like it's the one extreme where you have no control over whatever. You, you're just like, oh, I no idea what's going on. And, and I, don't, I don't know what I can try because I have, the world is so uh, is moving and, and I have no clue what kind of world I'm in that I don't know how I can apply agency. Or even if I'm trying to apply agency, somehow it's not working because I'm not somehow, uh, you know, you're searching for a door in the dark, basically. Whereas your poem is more about, much more about agency. It's about, you know, you know, you have to keep your child alive, your your sense of wonderment, your sense of, you know, striving for, for what you want in life, striving for a sense of happiness. And and so somewhere in between, right, it's, it's uh, where a lot of people, even, you know, us, we fall in life. Most of life is somewhere in between those poems. <laughs> Correct, correct. So in India, especially in Maharashtra, it's called uh, literature by written by saints. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of saints who wrote literature, and uh, there is one saying, "A man chinti te vairina chinti," means your mind is so negative that even your enemy is not thinking like that. So it's a very crude uh, translation. Uh-huh. So sometimes uh, uh, we think very very negative in your mind. We always think that okay, this might go wrong, that might go wrong. Every time we think about some bad situations, okay, or worse situations. So even uh, sometimes your animity is not thinking about those situations. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> your animity is your mind. Right, right, yeah, and there is definitely that psychological aspect to it that sometimes we can talk ourselves out of succeeding because we're so worried about all the things that might go wrong. That we don't try, we just think, oh yeah, that's never going to happen. That's never going to go our way, and sometimes that is not necessarily, as you said, it it, it comes from somewhere. That might not be something that's imagined, but rather from past experience. And sometimes we let our past experience overwhelm our future possibilities because our past experiences have been so negative that we think that. The future doesn't matter because no matter how hard we try, no good is going to come out of it. So that's definitely very self-destructive. Yeah, that that's very true. That's very true. That is what that is why sometimes I make an effort to keep the endings of my poems a little bit positive mm. because I really feel that little bit of positivity is required. So what I feel is when the poem ends, right, there should be something which uh, the reader uh, should keep on thinking, okay. And what I feel is if there is a bit of a message in the end, maybe you can uh, package it very nicely so that uh, the reader should be able to digest it easily. So that is my philosophy about it. I might be totally wrong because I see a lot of poets, uh, they straight away uh, go into the darker side and even they end it that way. And those poems are also very, very impactful. But uh, at least uh, I try to be a little bit positive when I'm ending the poem. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I definitely understand that. And for me, I tend to write the darker uh, poems because my poems tend to be inspired by like very strong emotions and sometimes um, a lot of the time especially now they tend to be about 
darker subjects. I do write about hope, but they're they're the minority of my poems. I also feel like in terms of the culture where I live, like U.S. culture, we are fed so many times, like through Hollywood and through entertainment, we are fed this idea of, oh, somebody is going to, no matter how horrible the situation, uh, somebody is going to come and save us, you know, like all the, all the superhero movies, for instance. And that's not true, <laughs> you know? Mostly, we have to learn to save ourselves. And I feel like there is too much in the U.S., at least maybe after the pandemic, the literature will turn towards darker thoughts because we have this idea, oh, everything will be okay. A lot of poetry or literature I encounter tend to be like, oh, the darkness is only temporary. Everything will be fine. Somehow we'll just get lucky and, you know, like we don't have to do anything and I tend to write about the darker ones because they're similar to you because I want people to go away thinking, thinking to look at the darkness, to really examine the darkness rather than just try to escape it in a psychological or physical way by trying to do something else like surf the internet, watch, you know, celebrity videos or whatnot and say there is darkness, but we have to look at it. We have to understand it in order to fix it and we can't just wait around for somebody else to do it for us because uh, we are dominated by certain religious beliefs that that think that oh someone is going to come around sacrifice themselves just this one person and everything will be okay and that's not how society works you know so so I, I feel like we have a lot of parallels in the sense of wanting to, we come from like same motivation, wanting people to walk away from our poems, to think, to be provoked into more thought. Right. And so I, I really appreciate it where your poem is coming from and the idea of taking agency, finding in yourself this ability to change your own life. Because ultimately, I, I agree with you that it is a change in mindset first before we can do the physical. We have to keep that, you know, this wonderment, this happiness, this sort of the center within us. Uh, we have to go back to it for our own strength when things go wrong in the world, in everything, in our lives. We have to keep this, this space, keep this fire going. Otherwise, we cannot change the world for the better. Very true. When you start, let's say you decide you, you want to write a poem, okay? So what is the motivation for writing that poem? It, it's, a, it's an incident or just you sit and then decide that, okay, today I'm going to write a poem or is there a process which you are following? How it is, because it will be helpful to me as well. So uh, the productivity function, right? So how, how, you, how you are working on it? So let's take this example of this poem. So did you read my poem after that you thought about my poem and then uh, you came uh, with your uh, uh, with what you came up with this poem as a answer or just you thought on the similar lines and this is where it took you. I wrote this poem about a year ago and mm -hmm. 
I tend to write in reaction to whatever's happening that brings out this emotional reaction for me. And I tend to write when I think of a line, whatever that line might be, it comes to me and I think, oh, that's poetic sounding. I'm going to write that down. And then I write a poem from that line. It's almost like the line is a portal that transports me into the poem itself. And I basically just download the poem <laughs> onto the page. So that's, I don't, I don't have the methodical practice that you do where, you know, I sit down deliberately to write a poem a day. Uh, I do tend to write quite often. I write, you know, on a weekly, if not a daily basis, it depends on sometimes I have, you know, I'm more prolific on certain days than not. And sometimes I would have days where I'm writing many, many, many poems. Like I think seven is my max per day. Um, mm-hmm. That's nice. That's yeah. Nice. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, I have one of those days and I'm just like writing, writing, writing. I'm like, oh, okay, the portal is really wide open today. Let me just write what I can. <laughs> and, and then then on other days I realize I haven't written a poem in a week or something. And then the, maybe the next day some a poem will come. So... I'm more on the, you know, let me just like meander on this path and see what comes kind of, kind of a poet rather than the delivery. And this was your first first draft or you write poem when you write multiple drafts of the same poem? I tend to just write whatever comes and then sometimes I go back right away to edit it. Sometimes I give it a day or two to edit it. There are some poems, especially when I'm looking for poems to respond to the other poets that I, I'm trying to interview, I will go back and read my old poems. At that time, I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, there's something wrong with it. Let me fix it. And so, you know, like there are deliberate uh, attempts at edit and then there are also accidental editing opportunities. Because of so both. I used to not edit. I just, you know, like let it go but now I edit more because I feel like this is my maturity as a poet is that I am willing to edit my own work now I I realize now that I can go back to it with a clearer mind and not be so enamored with it or be so annoyed by the fact that I can't finish a poem sometimes it happened sometimes I would write a poem and the ending which it used to happen a lot more when when I was younger, that, you know, I love how this poem is flowing, but then later on, it doesn't flow with the same rhythm. Something is just wrong with it, and I don't know what to do, and I just stop, and I, I never look at it again. But now, if that happens, I would just put down whatever I put, put down there, and then I maybe come back to it, like I said, immediately, or come back to it in a few days or in a few weeks, or uh, take it to a workshop, you know, to get other perspectives on it and, and see what inspires me to write. And I do also write to prompt. So if I go to a workshop or go to, you know, have a, you know, one of these virtual meetings now where there's a subject, I am able to write if somebody that is, nice. yeah, which I, I'm very and thankful for. Great, great, great. Uh, one more question regarding social media. So what I do is most of the times whenever I write, I publish it on social media. So I like the reaction which I get from people. Mm-hmm. So what, what are your thoughts about it? 
so there might be i am doing it excessively or people are doing it excessively so what is the right approach or is there a right approach is there a right balance i think is what works right for you because there are certain things that i like to share on social media yes there are ones where i think i write a lot of uh, social commentary poetry and there are some that i feel like okay I, I want to put that out there and I want the world to react to it. So I put that in social media. And then there are ones where I also realize the limit to my own platform, right? And, and so I want to publish pieces. And at least here in the US, in Britain and Australia and New Zealand, these areas, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure about Indian publishers. The, the tendency is they're asking for poems that have been unpublished and some of these uh, many actually of these publishers would tell you even if you put it on social media it's considered previously published so because i'm looking for a, a different platform i'm looking for their reach to help me reach you know different audiences sometimes i withhold my poem from my social media so it just depends on also what's you feel comfortable releasing in through your own social media platform right? and also your own reach through social media platform. So I approach it in several different ways, but for the most part, I'm not one of those poets who publish on their own site as much as I attempt to get it published in other ways. I mean, this is all discounting this podcast, obviously, because in every episode, there is one of my poems, but I'm doing this more because I'm interested in the conversation that uh, our two poems between my poem and the poet that I interview, the conversations these poems can engender. So I'm doing that not so much to showcase my poetry, but rather to have a conversation because my poem is always a reaction poem, even if it's something that I've written previously, like in this case, it is still a poem that have some kind of relationship to the poem of the poet that I'm going to interview for the episode. True. Yeah. So I think that balance is important to maintain and I understand that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So thank you very much for the time you've taken to speak with me about your poem and a little bit about your background and your inspiration and your practice. I, I really appreciate that. And I think people who listen to this podcast appreciate it as well because they come for different reasons, right? Some, some to actually learn the po poetic practice. And, and I think it's always nice to offer them these tools. So before I let you go, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about if you have any like workshops that you would recommend that people attend, you know, virtual, obviously, and also how people can follow you via social media. Great. People can follow me on Instagram, that's Unmesh Mohitkar. You can uh, follow me on Twitter, that is Mohitkar Unmesh. Mm -hmm. And uh, people can also follow me on Facebook. It's called Let's Unmesh Life. <laughs> I've just played with words. Let's, they have, they have got a Facebook page. Let's Unmesh Life. Nowadays, I attend a lot of uh, online uh, open mics. Mm -hmm. And I think it has uh, given me a new perspective. 
Mm-hmm. Now I can sitting sitting in India, I can attend uh, open mics uh, all around the world. Right. Right. So my network is growing, and then I'm also understanding. For example, today how we spoke today, or how we got connected, correct? Mm-hmm. So uh, we get uh, to know more people. We get to uh, listen to uh, quality poetry because uh, I think last week I went to one of the open mics, and then after the the, po- the poets were of so the quality was so good that uh, after the open mic I had to write a poem. Right. <laughs> so, it was. I was overflowing with emotions. So mm-hmm. For one one whole hour, everybody was reciting their poems in such a way, and the poems were so beautiful that I felt okay. I should also write something. Right. And uh, I think this is a good time to get uh, more and more exposure with all the online open mics and everything. Because if uh, if uh, COVID would not have been there, then this would not have happened. Correct. Right. So there, the online programs would, would be limited, so that exposure, uh, uh, that exposure would not have been there. So I feel, uh, in a way, there are few things which uh, uh, you can work upon and which uh, you can use in this situation, and uh, it's good because you feel refreshed when you see a new perspective or the way people present poetry, correct? Right. Uh, right. The, the, the way people use words, view the magic. I feel I think the, you can, as a person, and in this current situation, which is definitely difficult, but you can find ways to make it bearable and uh, work on your skills. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. That's why I always ask the poets I interview if they have any recommendations in terms of their favorite workshops or open mics. Yeah, and I want the book as well. Sometimes I forget <laughs> to talk about my book. I think I already spoken about it. Yes. It's yes. Light Shadow Life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is available everywhere. The the missing uh, verse of the soul, and uh, I think this this book is a, a I think it's a book of uh, around 50 poems. But uh, all the poems are uh, very very near to my heart, and I hope uh, people people are also liking it. So please uh, visit Amazon and see if you can uh, read read this book. Great, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Imogen. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate, and it was a very, very informative discussion and interesting as well. Yeah. So yeah. I think <laughs> I got to know a lot, lot, new, many new things, new perspectives, and yes, I think uh, we should we should have this type of discussions many more times. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Thank you very much. Thanks Thank a lot. you. Thank you very much. The story of the blind men encountering the elephant originated from the Indian subcontinent. I put a link about it in the episode notes, so please check that out. And as always, you can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. You can listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on Google Podcasts, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms such as Spotify, Stitcher, and Audible. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.